0: Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran.
1: A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allowed the use of recreational marijuana. Barry Peterson... Your doc,
0: you've studied this, you've talked to the researchers, right. you're saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff?
1: You are right. I learned it by watching you. Marijuana
0: is illegal under federal law. States have legalized... restaurants. no
2: wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot?
1: All right. Good morning, everyone. This is the Cannabis Hour. I'm your host, Jen Propachi. Thank you so much for tuning in on this beautiful morning in Mendocino County. The sun is shining. We've got snow on the mountains here outside of Cobolo, and it is a beautiful, crisp fall day. I am joined here today by two guests right now, the esteemed Tim Blake of the Emerald Cup and the Harvest Ball and the wonderful Phil Cruz from Mendocino Family Farms. We're going to start off the show today by talking about what Tim has coming up his sleeve for our community, some great things, I think, that you'll be excited to hear about. And then we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive, a continuation on the conversation we were having two weeks ago about local genetics with Phil Cruz, who has been breeding and growing his own genetics up in the hills of Mendocino County for the past 40 years. So, all right, Tim, we're going to start off with you. Would you like to say good morning to our listeners out there?
0: Good morning. It's always a pleasure to join you, and uh, thank you for putting on the show, KCIX.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Tim, for always making the time to come in and tell us what's up and what you've got going on. Do you want to start off by telling our listeners what's going to be going on with the Harvest Ball this year and a little bit about the Small Farmers Initiative?
0: Yeah, December 10th and 11th, we're going to go back to uh, Sonoma County Fairgrounds and uh, produce the Harvest Ball. It was a wonderful success last year uh, with the community coming together. Uh, we're very excited about the Small Farms Program again. We have 10 boosts we've given away, and they they double up the boost, so that's 20. And then we gave eight discounted boosts away, so that's another 16. So we're actually giving probably 36 farmers uh, free access or close to free access, and then we're doing eight um we're doing four social equity boosts. It'll be double two, so it'll be eight more. So literally a third of our boosts are going to be given away or discounted greatly to small farmers and equity brands. So we're we're very proud of that. Uh, that's very exciting. Uh, we're also going to have the DCC involved. We're inviting them in on a panel and to have a booth. After last year's debacle and all the other issues people have had, we're now joining together to ensure that um, that we can work together so then the future farmers markets and direct sales and all the other critical issues for Small farmers in our community are, um, are dealt with in a reasonable way. Uh, direct sales are so critical to small farmers. Uh, they're needed, uh, not just at a show like ours, but, uh, but through uh, farmers markets and even ours, you have to go through retail. We need absolute direct sales and we're going to be talking about that with the DCC there. Uh, It's very exciting, so we're going to take care of all that business, but then we're also going to have the best lineup I've really uh, looked forward to in a long time with E40 and Channel Trey and uh, Kamaya and Lee Fields and just so many acts. This is the discovery set of acts that I've always hoped for, so I'm really, really looking forward to the music this year as well.
1: That sounds awesome, Tim, and I'm really interested in hearing a little bit more about this approach that you took with the DCC you know, if you were at the Harvest Ball last year, you may remember, I certainly do, because I was there um, as, a, as a booth participant, actually, with my farm. The DCC being there, really harassing and hassling people and, and causing a lot of headaches and a lot of stress for participants. So how did you sort of come up with this idea to bring them in the fold? Um, tell me about it. I'm, I'm really intrigued by this.
0: Well, after last year's show, we got together with 10 members of the DCC and read them the Riot Act and let them know that if they continued in this manner, we wouldn't need to worry about having jobs, them or us, because nobody was going to sign up to join us and consumers were going to be afraid to come to the shows. They apologized. They should have never interacted with any consumers, period. They promised to never do that again. They're gonna have an office on site. Uh, if there's anything that they need to deal with, it's going to be done discreetly and they're gonna ask people to just come there. Uh, they're not gonna be heavy handed. They're gonna allow the sampling and a lot of the issues that we said were critical to small farmers, you know, being able to do sales and whatnot. So we've really remedied quite a bit of that. And to further that, we've uh, created a panel with them, and we've uh, given them a booth so that people can interact directly with them. So we're looking at it, the theme this year is unity. We need each other. They're not going away. We need to work with them. We need to educate and teach them so that we can all have uh, a reasonable way to work together. And along with that, we're going to have a couple panels to discuss how farmers critically need that direct sales access uh, through farmers markets and every other way you need to, just like breweries and uh small vineyards do you know with uh on sale site of sales so um we're working on all that and uh, that's the way we've got to do it because we we have to work together to make this uh make this work and the dcc is very open to that and they are looking forward to uh showing that they can uh, they can evolve and do it right themselves
1: that is totally awesome tim and i love that approach it's a really elevated open-minded approach i think it's great I have to admit that I was chuckling a little bit when you talked about discreetly you know, going to their office. It reminded me of being called to the principal's office a little bit was the image I had in my mind. And it just made me think about how, wow, crazy everything is with Prop 64 and how much our farmers are struggling and how in a lot of ways we feel even more um, criticized and regulated than we ever have before. So in this supposed time of legality, um, we were chatting a little bit before the show started about some other exciting things you have up your sleeve to assist our community. Uh, would you like to talk about any of those projects?
0: Sure, but just one second on that. The DCC didn't want to make anybody feel like they were being called a principal's office. They just didn't want to openly have a conversation with anybody and make anybody feel uncomfortable. So if, if there was anything that they wanted to even ask anybody about, they were just going to have them come talk to them without any, any heavy-handedness, just trying to work together and talk about uh, no violations, just interaction and stuff. So I, I really think people are going to see that that's not going to be the case this year. Um, looking at the need for these farmers to sell their products, we have a lot of farmers that can't afford to go to the Harvest Ball or to the Hall of Flowers. They still need to do some sales over the holidays. It's the, the best time of year to sell their flowers and their bulk oil. So we're working on something, hopefully with Mercy Wellness, and trying to put this together where we can have a moment to do a bulk flowers uh, interaction where we have quite a few retailers we're not trying to get the distributors because you don't get as good of a price we are going to invite them also but we're talking about the retailers the micro licenses and the manufacturers to come in and let the farmers get before them with you know two or three of their samples and be able to then have um, uh interaction where they can Put together a sale of a bulk flour. we're not talking 100 pound deals maybe somebody gets lucky and does that but even 10 20 30 40 pounds at a good price for a farmer right now over the holidays would really help out so we're trying to set this up for free at the very most we'd ask for a farmer to put up 100 bucks or something to help us but we're we're working our best to do this for free it's going to come in last minute uh we'll probably be announcing this uh at the beginning of next week, we would do that. Nick Smigley's and uh, Chris Anderson from River Roots have offered to do the transport for farmers that don't have distro so the material could be transported down and taken care of so we're really looking at every angle to make this something where it's a win-win and we have quite a few of these retail outfits Uh, we got ally from uh, sf connect promising 10 to 15 buyers from the city harborsides coming in embark is a lot of these retailers are going to come in and really try to support us Um, and uh, we're also working on a program with Harborside, after my call with uh, Hall of Flowers, we had, uh, I kind of called out like uh, Steve D'Angelo and a lot of the other people that advocated for large scale farming. And, uh, Angela Pia, who's running the marketing now for Harborside, got together with us and they want to rectify and remedy some of the things that Harborside was part of that that when they came in, they didn't know about. And so they're talking about helping us through sponsoring some of these endeavors and getting uh, 10 or 15 brands into their retail stores. And so what we're pushing hard now is for these people like Harborsard and Urban Leaf and the rest of them and Bark all of them to step up and guarantee a certain amount of small farmers, you know, sun-grown flowers and products onto their shelves as a way of showing that they're standing with us. So we're working in every way we can to remedy the challenging, you know, issues that small farmers and brands are dealing with right now
1: that is totally awesome tim and thank you from the bottom of my heart for working so hard for our community and putting this great opportunity together it sounds like it will be really great for farmers to network with these retailers hopefully make some sales and also just come together and and sort of be together with each other you know something we were talking about before we went on the air today was just how isolated everyone is these days away from each other up in the hills we don't have the same energy, um, really, in the cannabis community that we had in the years past due to the downturn of the cannabis economy. There's way less people around. So it's so important to gather and come together in these ways. And it's another reason why events like the Harvest Ball have become, I think, so important to the community, even in a in a new way, in an expanded way than they were previously. Is there anything that you want to tell us about the upcoming Emerald Cup? Are the entries open for flower submissions?
0: Uh, You can get the entry forms now. The entries for the, uh, the different categories will start January 3rd and run to February 3rd. Uh, We're in uh, negotiations. Um, Ryan Harlicker and CAA have talked with us about helping us find a world-class site. We have one in mind that we can't announce yet, but it would be an amazing, amazing place to produce the EC awards at and have that gathering of the family. Uh, We're also going to set up a market down there uh, Chelsea Lou did last year, uh, the day before the show, and then we went to the woods, of course. We're going to set up a full market down there for our winners and our brands to come into L.A. with uh, in conjunction with that show. So we'll be making some information known on that. Uh, it's, we're very, very excited about that. We're making some announcements. Uh, for right now, we're um, we're really concentrating on the Harvest Ball with this great lineup and uh, getting together with the community to rally together and have that moment. I mean, it's just such an exciting Uh, exciting time for us In these challenging times to be able to get that, that moment to just hang out with each other and be together. We've, we're tightening up the whole footprint. We're rainproofing it just in case we've had several years of challenging weather. If you look historically, Santa Rosa doesn't have rain at that time of the year. We've had some tough luck over a few years. We had some good luck early on. We're planning on some good weather this year, but we're rainproofing the whole rage lounge and different areas so that even if we get some rain, we're going to be really tight and in there. So uh, we're really very excited about that. And, um, You know, we can't wait to see everybody. It's going to be a really wonderful moment across the board for everybody. And we're going to have a good crowd. We have the ticket sales are going really well. People are very excited about E40. We had 101 applications for the Small Farms Initiative. We had almost 400 judges applications, over double the amount last year. So the buzz is on coming out of L.A. with Woody standing there with us and going down to L.A. And what we did it's really added to everything that we're doing, and there's just a tremendous uh, excitement across the board for the competition, uh, for the show, for the Small Farms Initiative, and everybody coming together. And hopefully we'll pull this Bulk Flowers moment off too. Uh, big ha- big thanks to Mercy Wellness. We haven't closed that deal, but they're really offering to step up, and they've really helped the small farmers in the past. We appreciate them so much, uh, Joe Sullivan and the gang down there. And so uh, we'll be making announcements about that uh, next week.
1: That is wonderful and really beautiful to hear Tim. Thank you so much. And before we um, shift topics here and we let you go, because I know you have something important this morning. Is there anything that you wanted to add about our conversation that we were having, you know, before we went on the air today, just about the community and sort of the isolation everyone's feeling and and the, the shift that's happened. You had some interesting things to say, and I'm just wondering if you wanted to pick that thread back up for a minute.
0: Well, you know, we've all talked about the challenges we've had with trimmers in the past and bringing all the workers in and the entitlement and having to feed them and pay them and all the rest of it. Now we've talked about, you know, some of the loneliness and isolation without them being there and how it's tough because of where we're at. Um, my feeling very strongly is that once we get interstate going and the dispensaries open up, and we get the federal legalization, the Emerald Triangle brands are going to really carry some value, and we're going to really pick up uh, the marketplace. And so the people that can just hang in, tough, tough to say, but the people that are here, we're going to see this community come back to life and get some of the robust nature we had and some of the excitement that we've been missing over the last year or two with all these challenges. So I think hope is on the way, and talking to the DCC and a lot of these retailers they see the critical nature that needs to you know, come about. And talking to SC Labs and Alec, you're not going to be able to get clean medicine from these big farms down south, especially with the concentrates. As this comes up, you're going to want more and more products and flowers from the Emerald Triangle and around the, the mountain communities of California. So we're going to have some really good years ahead of us. We just need to get through this last Tough year, bottom out, and then things will start to pick up. So everybody just needs to keep the faith, hold on, keep going forward, and uh, we'll get together and reminisce and uh, have some fun at the Harvest Ball this year.
1: I love it, Tim. Thank you so much. Always a great message of hope and positivity. And I really appreciate you coming on the air with us this morning, um, bringing your cheer and your words of your words of wisdom and your words of positivity for us. And thank you so much for everything you're doing to get these events together for bringing the harvest ball back to our community once again. I'm so excited for that and so excited to gather with you and everyone else. Is there any last oh, yeah. words that you want to leave everybody with? Anything you want to say? Yeah, well,
0: thank you. Thank you and KZYX and all the journalists and all the people that, you know, inspire and educate the community. A big thanks to Janine Coleman, Origins Council, and Michael Katz, and Nick and all the people, Chris Anderson, Brandy Moulton, all the people that have facilitated the small farms uh, program again this year, all the people, the same group is facilitating the bulk flowers moment. They're all working for free on this. Nobody's making a dime. I can't, you know, express my gratitude enough to all the people involved in this. Mercy Wellness and Joe, Allie from the SF Buyers Club, everybody. And so uh, together, united as a team, uh, we're going to go forward and make this work. So thank you very much. I got a few minutes. I'll stick on the line for a few minutes. We'll have to drop to be able to listen to Phil, who I uh, just revere, got the chance to spend some time with. And I just uh, really appreciate elders and uh, longtime titans like him over four decades in the industry with us. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Tim. And of course, if you want to hop into our conversation with Phil, if you've got anything to add, I always encourage some dialogue, some back and forth. So f- please feel free. All right. And without without further ado, I've got Phil Cruz here on the line with us from Mendocino Family Farm. Yes, a true long-term titan and elder, as Tim said. Um, Phil, you want to say hi? Say hi to our listeners this morning?
3: Yeah, good morning, everyone. And uh, thank you for having me on I really appreciate you guys taking the time and really appreciate what Tim's doing for our community. It's really funny that I haven't, you know, me- didn't meet Tim until this summer because we're, we've both been parallel in this industry for, for a long time. And I finally, we kind of met and, and uh, come to find out we're both from the same town. We probably know people from the 70s, you know, that were doing this stuff. So Anyway, I just want to shout out to those guys. Thank you very much for everybody doing what you're doing for us. We really appreciate it.
1: Well, that is certainly a trip that you two have never met before. <laughs> and It just speaks a little bit to the uh, sort of far flung and spread out nature of our county and why these events where we come together are again so important for us to get together and network because I don't know how you two have missed each other in the trajectory for all these years but divine timing, perfect that you're meeting now. Phil, do you wanna tell our listeners a little bit about your farm?
3: Sure. Um, Well, our farm name is Mendocino Family Farm. Uh, That didn't come by just mistake. We're actually a real family farm. Uh, My wife and I've been in the cannabis industry for the last 42 years. Uh, I have two daughters that are following in our footsteps. Um, One's a wildlife biologist and uh, one is actually studying soil analysis and farm management up in UC Santa Cruz. So we do get a lot of good information out of these young people um, these days and it's, I tell you what, it's, it's great. I've been growing for a long time, like we say, but uh, they're letting me know, you know, the notes, like I'm a musician that plays the music without knowing the notes they know all the notes so now just combining us together we we're a really good team and it's really showed um this last year we were the gold medalists in the california cannabis state fair and uh you know i have to give credit to my daughters you know they're the ones that are over here helping us to get sustainable regenerative using live soils and whatnot we've always grown organically but um You know, just getting information from the scientists has really helped us. So yeah, it's it's been great. So we have this little farm. We grow. We have ten thousand foot uh, permit, but we usually only grow about five to six thousand square feet to keep us keep us under control here and try to grow some really high quality cannabis.
1: That is awesome and truly inspiring, a a real family farm, family style, pretty awesome. It's not just a word, it's a practice for you guys out there at your place. And so the reason that we are here today is to really dive deep into Phil's breeding processes and his genetics. You know, I met Phil probably about 14 years ago, and he had some of the strongest cannabis I'd ever smoked. I shared a joint with him and I actually put it down and didn't smoke weed again, I think for like a month or two afterwards, because it totally knocked me off my feet. And he told me it was a strain that he had been um, breeding and refining himself for, for years. I don't know how long at that point, probably decades. And I was just totally blown away by that. And over the years, it's become obvious that his expertise with his breeding and genetics is really pretty amazing. So, Phil, I wanted to ask you, you know, we're going to talk all about the strains you grow and how you do it. What was, like, the first strain you ever grew? Can you remember way back when to, like, your first weed plant and what it was, what strain that was? Yeah. Well, it's funny.
3: Um, The first cannabis plants that I tried to grow in my girlfriend's mom's backyard when we were in high school was, like, 1971. I was a freshman. We planted some Colombian gold. That was our first strain that we planted. Um, my brother-in-law was already working with that strain, the Colombian gold in the early 70s. These surfer guys from Santa Cruz. I'm sure Tim probably knows somebody that knows these guys up there. But uh they the ones that turned me on to the Colombian gold. They were smuggling it from Colombia and they were coming back with uh with cannabis that was sensamia Colombian gold. I mean, no one ever. I mean, if anybody back in the seventies remembers, the Colombian gold was like totally seeded. So when these guys came back from Colombia with the sense of me at Colombian gold, um, and and we already had seeds from it, we we started with that one.
1: And was that a success? That first Um, attempt? Well, not really,
3: because um, you know. The girlfriend's mom found out what it was and, and yanked it out, but at that time, like, you know, I didn't even know to separate the males and the females. And I asked my brother-in-law, you know, because I saw two different types of plants there and he's all, you know, this is like 1972. He's like. You gotta, sell, you gotta get rid of the males. And I was like, what? There's male and females." So right there was my first education on it. So. From there, you know, I just totally fell in love with breeding and cannabis. So we never stopped since that day. We continue us on with with educating ourselves on, on the cannabis around the world. And once I moved up to Humboldt County in 1981, then I got another real education from these guys that have been up in Humboldt County for, you know, probably since the 70s themselves. And they you know, their buddies brought them Afghani and Paki seeds, and so that's, like, things really changed in Humboldt County as soon as that seed showed up.
1: So, I'm kind of putting the trajectory forward together here as you're talking. So, you're in Santa Cruz area in, like, the 70s as a high school student, so you're a teenager, basically, and then fast forward to 10 years later, you're moving up to Humboldt County. You're probably in your late 20s, I'm assuming here, early 30s, and you go up there and you have access to suddenly new genetics, you know, you're talking about having Afghani genetics now. And what was that like for you to now have access to a different set of genetics that you had before? And was this the point at which you started, you know, breeding and crossing that stuff and working with that?
3: Exactly. Um, When I showed up um, in 1981, you know there was only like as far as i knew we were out on the east very east side of humboldt county and um when i showed up these guys had the afghani on um, that and some buddies i knew from the other side of the county they were growing the packy. so you know we took the both those two seeds and started inbreeding the afghani crossing it with the packy, because back then you know it was all Pretty much, it was about trying to get some strains in before the cops showed up. Um, so, you know, it was all about trying to get these things to flower earlier and earlier. Everyone knows that the Colombian strains and the Mexican strains were like, most of them wouldn't even finish up in Humboldt County. So it was kind of ridiculous to go that way. So when the Afghani showed up, it was um, it was finishing out quite a bit earlier. And it was a much, much stronger and nicer plant so we uh, immediately started uh breeding the afghani i like the afghani myself more than the paki back then it seemed like it was stronger and that's what it was all about for me it was like how stoned you know how how much ghc um and trying to get breeds that are just stronger and stronger i don't know why we tried to do that you know just back then it was all about just getting stoned now it's all about all these different expressions, and it's so much actually funner now. I'm having a lot more fun breeding today than I did back then because I really, you know, we didn't know exactly what we were doing. But boy, what a difference it made going from growing Colombian for everybody and Mexican to this Afghanian Paki showing up. So that that worked out all really well, and and then um, I had a good friend that had the guts to order seeds from Holland. we're like what there's a seed bank and that was like in 1983 we started ordering strains like the skunk One and the durban poison and, and the early girls you know uh the, all those different strains started getting quite a bit um more famous than just the afghani you know we were we were trying to get different Different inbreeds and different hybrids and different, just different strains to um, to try to get them to flower early. That's what it was all about back then—just flower early and get it out before the cops showed up.
1: Yeah, and how were you connecting with other people to sort of get these strains? You know, because I'm I'm picturing a very closed, clandestine kind of community back then, as I as I'm sure that it was. What were your grows like? Were you running indoors to do this breeding, or were you? Did you have a little patch out in the woods, or what was that like?
3: No, it was we were we were growing outdoors. Um, You know, we uh, when we came up in 1981, I got lucky and met some guys out in in Bloxburg, and um, they sold me a piece of land out there. So we started with their education. They gave me the seed. They told me how they were doing it. And all immediately from going from the first year of gorilla growing up, where me and my brother just hiked out in the middle of nowhere on some big giant ranch and started planting. Didn't know anything till the next the next year I was living in Blocksburg and um these guys were teaching me breeding programs, you know. So we got really lucky. And then like I said, another friend of mine started ordering these turban poison seeds and 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 skunk one and the skunk one seed really amazed me and i pretty much started sticking with the skunk one and breeding it when it showed up because it was just so unique it was a sativa more dominant looking plant but it would finish with the afghani's. it was really interesting and then the the turpins off it you know were just amazing i i smell the turpins on some of the strains like the forbidden fruit I can smell the turpin from the skunk one on that and then Huckleberry Farms has this a strain that I can smell the uh, skunk one in their strain as well. It's a very dominant turpin that comes from the skunk one and I, I just fell in love with it immediately. I wanted a pillow that smelled like it my whole life. <laughs> That's what I've been <laughs> trying, to, trying to create is a pillow, a terpene pillow that I smells think... like a skunk one. <laughs> i think we can make this happen for you yeah so yeah back then it was all about the skunk one and you know it's funny how the durban poison became the 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 main dominant uh strain for the cookies people to uh, cross the og kush and so yeah i want to get into that but i see uh i see you know a lot a lot of good strains coming out of the durban poison these days so it's really cool
1: I'm not totally sure, but I think the terpene you might be talking about is terpinene or terpinoline. But I'm I'm not 100 yeah. percent sure on that one.
3: Uh, yeah, no, I'm not positive either um, on the exact terpene that the stunk one. But it's a real sweet, sweet uh, smell. It's very addicting, and it tastes really good. And like I said, it finished out as early as the. Uh, Afghani, so it was like my number one deal. But you know, other strains like the Northern Lights, man. And when it came out, man, it was like it turned my attention. The Northern Lights was an Afghani that someone crossed with the uh, with the Thai weed. And when that came out, that's when you know everybody was going in the indoors in the early nineties when that one came out. So yeah, I didn't I didn't get involved with any indoor thing until. um 1987, we started breeding Durban poison on the indoor uh, and came out with some really crazy strings, you know, from that one. But yeah, all my breeding techniques came from the the great outdoors.
1: I love that. That's awesome. And, you know, I'm picturing this situation you're describing where everyone's kind of been growing the same thing for a, a little bit of time because it's all they have access to, right? And then you order these seeds and they come over from the seed bank and all of a sudden you have all this new different stuff that you're crossing and working with. And I'm imagining how like incredibly exciting that must have been to see those plants flower and to see these expressions you hadn't seen before. And what was it like to kind of put that in front of buyers and were they like, whoa, what's this? You know, like when you started showing that weed around maybe to your friends or to buyers or whatever. Were they just like blown away because they'd been seeing the same stuff for a long time? Or like, what was that like?
3: Well, yeah, um, I was um, going back up to Tahoe in the winters and skiing all winter. So we would bring these new strains back up to Lake Tahoe. And uh, Lake Tahoe, the market up there, people, you know, they really were, I mean, people really had no idea of the different types of strains and stuff. So you know, we pretty much had that on North Lake Tahoe it was like we had it pretty much cornered, other than there's these big Thai guys up there. Um, but he, everybody was pretty excited. But what really brings me back was back in the 70s when I was in high school and my brother-in-law gave me um this purple haze that they um that they made from the Columbian gold. And and it was like a blue cotton balls that smelled like licorice and when i showed that to my friends in, in high school they didn't even know it was cannabis they're like what is that you know so it was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty cool so yeah going back from santa cruz out my parents were divorced so i was down in the bay area and so down the Bay in high school i was like the king of cannabis in my school <laughs> you know because i showed up with this purple weed that was going you know we used to buy you know lids of weed for 10 bucks and i was telling these guys this is 200 bucks and and everybody was like just drop," because the prices of it but once they took a hit off it i mean it, it was like black licorice it was the most incredible thing i still think it would be a competitive strain if it was on the market today
1: that's amazing yeah i can Im- i can remember as a young cannabis smoker Myself, I can remember, you know, the first time I bought a really good bag of weed that really stood out and all of a sudden, whoa, what's this? It's totally different. It's, you know, now your expectations of cannabis, what, you know, is available is completely elevated and it's a whole different ballgame. It's like a feeling yeah. of wonder, wonder and amazement <laughs> that was secondary to none at that point.
3: Yeah, well, you just got of like so, nowadays.
1: Till at what today, point today, I know?
3: so it seems like we kind of lost jen there for a oh, minute
1: i'm here i'm here i had a little internet glitch but i'm i'm back can you hear me yeah i got you great go what ahead. were you saying? What you saying oh i was just oh, going to well. say oh no you go ahead bill cruz
3: <laughs> uh, uh i was just starting going to start getting into the 90s you know when when the og kush showed up and um people were like oh my god what is this strain and you know it was going for so much more money and you know i got really lucky these guys from l.a brought up to san francisco in the early 90s this og kush and it just stood out above and beyond everything we've seen there was only one other strain and um up in tahoe that actually a mendocino guy gave these guys up in tahoe was called the dog um it wasn't the kim dog it was just the dog and you know, I would get both those strains and look at them next to each other. I was like, these things are definitely related. Um, and they were just like, just way above all strains that I've ever dealt with. So, you know, I st- we started breeding that OG Kush immediately. As soon as I got a clone of it, we started breeding it.
1: Well, that's exactly what I was gonna ask you when you lost me there was at what point did the OG Kush genetics come into play? Because I know that that's something that you worked with extensively. And actually the cannabis um, that I smoked of yours, you know, way long time ago when I first met you, I believe it wasn't in, in it was an OG Kush cross that really knocked me, knocked me on my butt there that you had grown that was so strong and unbelievable and oh my God, just smelled so dank and crazy. So do you want to talk about your journey with those OG Kush genetics? Because I believe you still work with um, those same genetics today. Is that correct?
3: Yes, I do. Um, like this year, I'm, like, we we took it out of production. We've always grown it and bred it every year since we've been here, which is we've been on this farm for 22 years. And so, like I said, um, I finally got a hold of a cut from these guys in, that brought it up from L.A. to San Francisco. and um, you know i brought it up to lake tahoe my buddy had his little indoor thing going and and so we we kept that string going up there and when i bought this piece of property we brought that cut to this piece of property my neighbor next door um he had a kush hayes cross and so we we got seeds from him and used that mail from him to our og kush clone cross so those first seeds you can imagine when they came out there was no you know it wasn't stable it was very unstable and so we um just kept back crossing when you back cross back into its parent it starts to stabilize so what we would do is like the first year from that unstabilized um hybrid that we made we took that pollen and would put it back on to the OG Kush cut and then the next season we would do it again and and then we'd bring it back again and just keep on doing that and it took like four or five years of back crossing into the parent and it stabilized like like you know just about every plant they had different structures but they all had the same turpin profiles they all were you know, higher than normal than the normal OG Kush, the THC amounts are starting to go up. Um, so we just kept on backcrossing and backcrossing until it got to a point where it, it was very stable and it was on the top of it was king of the hill until 2015. And then, you know, pretty much everybody by then was was growing OG Kush so i felt like we needed to uh go different directions so we jumped on the i call it the fashion game which is the strains that are already out there that people are known to keep us in business we needed to to start getting cuttings here not seeds so we could um, have strains that the general public would you know has heard of so yeah um we started working on some other good stuff I'd like to really get into, too, as well. Um, we now we're been going since last year. We won the the California Cannabis Award at the state fair for the highest THC with this uh, GMO cut that we got from a company in, in, in uh, Salinas that... I guess they're no longer there i try to get a hold of them but anyway so we we took that mom that gmo mom which was really unique um breed it grew like like a sativa plant i mean everyone's telling me that this is an indica dominant breed and i'm looking at this 14 foot sativa plant saying you know i don't think so <laughs> you know so anyway we started doing different crosses with the og Throwing in some Lemonhead OG in there with the the Kush, the OG Kush, and we so we crossed the Lemonhead OG and and my OG Kush was what some people call the Cherry Creek OG with this GMO, and um, I tell you this year is the most amazing amazing breed I think I've I've seen in a long time, and really really excited about that um, that cross this year so look for it and i hope we'll be smoking it with you guys at the harvest ball we'll be passing it out as much as possible to let people see what we got going this year
1: yeah phil are you going to be there at the harvest ball with mendocino family farms do you guys have a booth
3: um no we weren't um picked this year to get a booth um i'm trying to work out some kind of deal with somebody to get in there but um as everyone knows you know the money is definitely tight And if we don't have a booth, um, I definitely will be there and I'm going to be walking around quite a bit. I'll I'll be I'll be seeing everybody as much as possible. But no, we don't have a booth as of yet,
1: but you'll be there anyway. And that's what matters. So people can still meet you. I imagine you're going to be hanging out in the small farmers initiative area, um, the craft cannabis marketplace. I believe it's called meeting and greeting and sharing some great cannabis with folks
3: absolutely um you know it's really good to hear that tim's made a deal with the dcc so people can have you know try samples i really really truly believe that the general public that is buying our cannabis everybody's cannabis in dispensaries are mostly people that um didn't didn't um access cannabis until it was legal so you know they don't really know other than what the bud tenders are telling them and you know, by us bringing samples out to the harvest ball and giving samples out, that's all we need to do. It, your your cannabis needs to sell itself. We don't need to tell people what they're gonna like. They're gonna they're gonna see your cannabis and they're gonna like it or not. And if people aren't liking your cannabis, then you need to switch it up and make your stuff uh, a much much better product these days. So yeah, we're looking forward to getting out there this year, and y'all definitely be at the harvest harvest ball you know it's smoking as much as we can with people especially with this new cross this this gml that's cross with this limit head uh cherry creek um, cross is uh really going to be amazed on this it's like a it's a really sativa dominant strain and i know she's going to be she's definitely going to be a winner so if you see me there hook, look you know let me know, man, and, uh, and uh, we can break it out.
1: Yes, that's awesome. And, you know, I think you are very um, correct with your perception there that most people, you know, a lot of people that come to the Harvest Ball to purchase cannabis, certainly not everyone, but a good amount of those folks, yeah, had not really accessed um craft cannabis emerald triangle cannabis prior to prop 64 very much and that's another reason why it's so important to have folks like you on the cannabis hour and to get your story out there as much as possible because it might feel You know, it's it's super interesting, but people in our community might be like, oh, you know, we've heard it's to us. We know about this stuff. This is what we talk about with each other all day, every day at the coffee shop. When we see each other at the post office, whatever, this is the fabric of our lives. But for people outside of this community, it's not. And it's really important to share the stories and keep them alive and share the education and the information. And also tell people these things so they know what sets Emerald Triangle Cannabis apart, why it's world class, and the story and the legacy behind it. It's like when we talk about legacy cannabis, what's that legacy? It's exactly the kind of things that you're telling me right now is what the legacy is. So, it's incredibly important to share that information. And I want to thank you, Phil, because you've always been super forthcoming and talkative and friendly and open about your practices and what you do. And I think that that's going to be your key to success moving forward 100%.
3: Absolutely. I think, you know, just letting people know, you know, like I try to tell people if there's anything I can do to help you guys grow sustainably organically anybody that's that's out there that wants to learn anything um you know you can look me up and DM me on Instagram ask me questions I'm more than willing to help out with anything I can with a- anybody out there it's it's what it's all about man we need to stick together sun grown farmers up here really need to concentrate on sticking together growing triple a from what i'm hearing the triple a can sun-grown cannabis is starting to go up in price but the the average sun-grown cannabis isn't going to go anywhere in this market and it's probably you know not going to go anywhere in most markets in the future so us as sun-grown farmers we just need to step up our games grow you know sustainably regeneratively uh, and 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 care and love for this plant like there's no other plant in the world that takes this kind of care and when you do care about uh, the earth and and everything else that that goes with growing cannabis it, it goes a long way if you're growing organically and sustainably the plant I feel like has a soul when you grow like that so, you know that's how things just get so much better so anybody and everybody the sun grown farmers up here let's get together and show everybody that yes we do have the world's best cannabis and and come and try it just all you have to do is try it and you will like it
1: i guarantee it and i think you do too phil 100 percent So we've got a quick moment here to take probably like one caller, so I do want to give folks the opportunity if they've been listening in and they've got a question for Phil or a comment about their own genetics, maybe they've been working with for a long time, I want to give them the chance to call in and say so. So our number here at KZYX is 707-895-2448. That is 707-895-2448. So if you're listening and you would like to call in with a question or a comment about today's show, please don't hesitate to do so. And we are here waiting for you. And while we wait to see if we have any callers this morning, I do want to announce that the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance Advocacy Awards are happening this weekend. That is Saturday, November 12th from 4 to 7 p.m. in Fort Bragg, and I'm going to say a little bit about that um, before we hop off the air today, but right now we do have a caller, so I'm going to ask Eddie down there at the station to put that caller through, and hi, caller, you are live on the Cannabis Hour. Are you here with us today? Right now we do have a caller, so I'm going to... Hi, yes, I am. Hi, thank you. Do you have a question or comment? Yes, yes. I'm waiting for this
2: line to connect to the radio timing.
1: Oh, you know what? Don't try to hear yourself. Just uh, that actually will mess it up. So just go ahead with your question or comment, and we can hear you fine on the air.
2: Thank you. Hi, this is Corinne, and I would like to just add a comment and then a question uh, for, for Phil, please. First of all, I want everyone to know that in addition to his decades of expertise as a grower and breeder he's also a great contributor to the community and has helped with a variety of projects uh... i'm sure often without remuneration and so i want to be sure that we all can appreciate that aspect of him too he's the real deal but my question is um... i wonder if in the circles that Phil is acquainted with these a farmers in different parts of the county. If severe weather that we had with both the heat and then the rains in September, if he has noticed or heard of any particular negative results in this year's sun-grown crop. Uh, I'm wondering if terpenes have been altered in, in ways that would be abnormal. Um, So that's my question. Thank you.
1: Uh, Thanks, Corinne. You're also a beloved member of our community. So thank you for calling in, and I'm going to let Phil respond to that. Go ahead, Phil.
3: Yeah, well, first, thanks, Corinne, for the nice words. Um, I know you guys have been around for a long time, too. And, you know, smoking your herb, man, you guys do a good job. But um, getting back to the question, Um, Yes, I do believe that our weather, like, this year was way, way easier to deal with than, like, last year, you know, we had early, you know, up to 15 inches of rain last year early. And, you know, of course, that's going to be a negative um, impact on your crop, you know, as far as molds and stuff. But what's really funny, after all that rain, I mean the gmo that won the state fair award it went through all 15 inches of rain and still harvesting that flower and um getting it tested and entered into the fair it was you know still the best of the best so this plant you know like especially with um b- breeding programs that some strains will do better than others um I noticed the, well, the OG Kush, um, when you grow the OG Kush and the weather's extreme, well, I've been learning that um, you definitely cannot let the flower go over bloom at all. It has to be picked either a little early or right on time. If you let it go over, it will age quite quickly. The sugars leave the OG Kush faster than other strains. So I learned this year some of the strains were growing um, they, they, the trichomes, you know, we're looking in a microscope every other day and the trichomes still what's left down the f- garden there now with this, uh, strain called the grapes and cream the, the trichomes just stay white. They don't age as fast. So it's all about, um, you know, what strain you're growing. Um, when I do have my OGs going out in my field, it's a really hot field. So we um, do use a 20% shade cloth um, and leave that up until the heat goes down a little bit. We like, you know, we like to, to protect them a little bit during the growing season. And then during the flower season, before the flower season comes, we'll actually take that shade cloth off. And we're in mother's Mother Nature's hands at that point. But there are strains that do much better than others in extreme weather. You just gotta find which ones works for you. You know, everyone knows in this county, we have microclimates. I have different microclimates on different parts of my land here. So over the whole county, we have so many different microclimates that you need to really figure out what works best for you.
1: Yes, and that's another reason why the cannabis of the Emerald Triangle and Mendocino County alone is so incredible. You can have, The same strain grown in three different places, and it's going to be a little bit different in each of those places because of these microclimates you're describing. And it's just absolutely incredible and fascinating. And it really speaks to the mastery of our craft that a lot of growers have, like you Phil, definitely 100% a true master of your craft that you're out there in the garden every day making these observations about the trichomes on the different strains and that you know about the different microclimates on your land and how to work with those variables. There's so much that goes into growing sun-grown cannabis. There's so much knowledge and mastery that goes into that, and I think it's incredibly important for people to know all about that time and effort and bandwidth and brainpower and connection that you have to develop with your plants in order to get to the point that you are at. So I really admire you for that. And I think it's really incredible um, that you've been able to be breeding your strains for so long and that you have been able to maintain your farm during Prop 64, which as we know is certainly not easy, probably the hardest thing that many of us have done in our careers here, and that you even were able to take it to the point where you won a gold medal at the California State Fair last year. It's definitely something to be really, really proud of. And I hope that you feel that way. And we are actually in the last three minutes of our show, so I'm going to give you a chance to respond, and then any, like, last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with, and I definitely want to make sure that you share your contact information before we get off the air today, so go ahead.
3: Well, thank you, Jen. I really appreciate you guys giving me the time uh, to come in and and talk about this, and I just want to let, like, your listeners and everybody that's listening to this know that, you know, this plant, you know, a lot of people think that we have to put it on these feeding programs to um, get these different expressions. And, you know, this year and last year, you know, it was a big lesson this, for us all about feeding programs. And now most of us really can't afford these feeding programs. And I, to me, I mean, that's the best thing to happen to, to sun-grown cannabis is people, you know, learning that they can grow really good cannabis without putting them on these feeding programs. I really feel like, um, you know, if you grow in in native live soils, that you, the, the plant doesn't need, you know, these liquids that people are going out spending thousands of dollars on. That's just totally unnecessary. I think this year, we our cost of goods is super low. We've had no laborers um, no, and no one but ourselves working here My wife and my two daughters and once in a while a friend will show up and help out but it i really believe that um the good things come from from bad you know way our industry is and and it's teaching us new things about this plant and how the expressions will will be way more wide without a lot of these big feeding programs so that's all i want to let people know and you know, if anybody wants to DM me, it's, uh, we're at Mendo Family Farm on Instagram. And I also have a website, www.mendocinofamilyfarm.com. So if anybody ever has any questions or wants to gather, get together and talk about uh, different strains, you know, give me a DM. We're here.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Phil. And I, as a farmer myself, I echo your sentiments 100% when it comes to um, the benefits of, of having to scale back our inputs. I think it is extremely valuable. And I want to let our listeners know as well, before we hop off the air in about two minutes, that the Mendocino Cannabis Advocacy Awards and Dinner that I mentioned earlier is happening this weekend. That is Saturday, November 12th from 4 to 7 PM at 310 North Main Street in Fort Bragg. If you are interested in attending this event, which is going to be honoring Hannah Nelson, Jude Tillman and Casey O'Neill for their dedication to cannabis advocacy, you can get more information and find the link for tickets at mendocannabis.com. That's the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance website. It's mendocannabis.com. And Phil, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us today and for all of your work and your contributions to our community are truly unparalleled, and I wish you the best of success moving forward. I know that you're going to do just great, and thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge with our listeners on the Cannabis Hour today. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. I'll be back two weeks today from today with another episode of the Cannabis Hour for you.